What's up, everybody, and welcome back to episode four of Break and Build with Brad and Billy. I am Billy, and we are going to take a break from your day to build your life in a positive direction. I hope you guys are ready for this. We are going to get into some amazing content today. We are going through more arena gaming, the highs and the lows, the craziness. It all will then eventually fall down. Not to spoil too much, but Brad, are you ready to do this, man? Oh, yeah, man. We we labeled this episode, failure is always an option. And, <laughs> I, and just to touch on that is, you know, everybody gets so down on themselves if you fail at anything, right? And you have to look at failing as a positive to an extent, because <laughs> when you fail, all of the lessons that you have learned and everything that has happened around you are now going to allow you to do the, your next thing even better, because that's how we grow as people is you have to fail, you have to succeed, you have to take mm -hmm. all the lessons that you learn to be able to take those stepping stones to, you know, build yourself up and be better in the future. Exactly. I think that comes down to also to like a mindset, not to get super crazy into it right now, but like, like Brad said, failure is not necessarily a bad thing, right? And, and actually, quite frankly, it can be an amazing thing because number one, it teaches you a ton of lessons. Um, even if it's something that you may be into, that's kind of hardcore. Like we've got into some hardcore like debt, like we had, we'll talk about it, big, big printers that we bought that we thought was going to bring us bigger revenue. And if we keep going in the same trajectory, we, it always seemed to work out for us. So it's retraining your mind that it's not really like failure is kind of like this negative connotative word, but failure is like a good thing. If you hear about any entrepreneur out there that they talk about like, you know, you're going to fail a thousand times before you succeed. And maybe yep. sometimes, you know, there's those cases where somebody will jump on a TikTok and they'll be amazing on the first thing and their their career will explode. But those are like the outliers. And then we get obsessed with the outliers. And then we see that like our life isn't an outlier. And then it deters us from going yep. onwards because we failed. And we want to help you guys not do that. Because as we're going to go through today, you're going to see many failures. And then you're going to hear our mindset changes beyond those failures to start taking us into different trajectories. And it's just really like it's just a recalibration. Think of failure as like a recalibration of your life. And you don't need to abandon those things that you're actually doing. You just need to think about, okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? How am I going to change in the future? And then keep building from that. And that's how you start building up. Yep. No, exactly. And so where we kind of left off in the last episode where we'll pick up is the start of arena gaming. Uh, and we're going to kind of go over these next events and lessons and everything that happens. So after our first events in Chicago and we picked up investors and stuff like that, we planned out those 10 events, basically, right? We said, we said, Hey, we're going to have an event every single month. And we're like, whatever, we're just going to go ham and we're just going to do it super hard. Mistake number one right there. Like it was a mistake. We shouldn't have done it. Uh, we kind of talked on that, but that was that was a, that was a mistake. So the next event that we had uh, was in New Jersey, and it was we had a group of local friends that uh, all drove out there. They literally drove across the country, and I flew out there. I remember that the weather was so bad, so I was mm -hmm. in the airport, and all flights are getting canceled. Like everything is getting canceled. And I'm like, I don't think I'm gonna be able to make it to this event. So like Billy wasn't even going to this event because it was small. It was like, it was like a, a 12 person event, eight person event. It was a super small, like one day thing that we were doing. Um, and it was basically just for an online stream, right? Yeah, it was just, it was just an online stream. It was at like a really small, like land center cafe place in 
uh, in New Jersey. And the, the goal of this was the winners. We were going to pay for them to come to our next like larger event. We were going to pay for their flights and their hotels and everything like that. Um, so it was kind of like a win a sponsorship to our next event. And I'm sitting in this airport, everything's getting canceled. I'm telling the guys that are driving, they're like, you guys might have to do this without me. Like they haven't really been involved in anything we've done yet. So I would be like talking them through everything on the phone. And I sat at the airport for probably 12 hours, just waiting to get on a flight. And I was like, if you got to fly me somewhere else to then fly there, like, I don't care, but it didn't matter because it was the weather at the airport I was landing in was so bad that just nothing was landing and it was all getting canceled. It was thunderstorms. It was absolutely terrible. And, um, so I finally ended up getting on a flight though. And I got there, I got there. I remember getting there at like two in the morning or something. It was ridiculous. And so like, I haven't been to the place that the events at, at like eight in the morning, the event starts. I haven't been to the place. I haven't checked it out. Like nothing set up. I don't super I'm so the, glad I didn't go to this. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the most unprepared event I've ever experienced. Now, so we get there in the morning, we get everything set up and and uh you know, it it ended up working out pretty well and some of the people at this event that actually uh did really well uh if you guys are familiar with the Halo scene at all, you'll know who we're talking about otherwise you're going to have no idea, but I'm going to mention them because this is kind of a, a couple of their first events. So Spartan, the dog. Um, so he now is one of the top halo players. Um, you've got L town was on his team and then Rob, the turtle who had been around there, but those are three of the four people that actually ended up winning the event and kind of started to spark their competitive halo career. So it was super exciting to, you know, be able to witness that and be a part of these really young players, uh, who now you look six, seven years you know, in the future and where they are, it's, it's pretty amazing. And it's, it's really, really cool to see. Uh, so that event there, there's not a whole lot there. It was a super small event. The stream went off good. We got growth out of it. Um, but it was definitely a learning lesson on going across the country because it was the first time that we did something that wasn't in like our, our own back, you know, ba- uh, backyard to where we can just drive to It's super easy. So, yeah, I should have drove. I should have drove with them to flying like that is definitely a risk, especially when you're the only one who's going to be able to know like how to run everything. So, uh, after that, Billy, where did we end up? Where did we end up going after this event that these players, we then flew them out, paid for all their stuff and everything, gave them a little bit of a sponsorship to be able to go to a bigger event. If I'm not mistaken, the next event was Ohio. No, no, no. Nope. nope. Murphy's bro. Then. Yeah, you got it. You got it. The Ohio because one was I, before that. We talked about that a little bit before. Okay. I was mixing those two up. So yeah. So Murphy's bro. And honestly, the, I think the biggest thing that really hurt us during these time is we were trying to save as much money as possible because like all our money was going into these events. So it was us trying to save money and then not pay too much on hotels. Cause we had like so much usually expenses with the, the contests and the prizing because we wanted to have enough incentive to give enough money to actually want these players yeah. to get there. Right. So I think that was like one of the things that really kind of like hurt us in the beginning. And then we started learning and we're like, okay, we need to be there two, three, four days in advance. Right. Like Brad showing up a day before, like you never know what's going to happen in Murphy's bro. 
Ooh, man, that was like probably, I think that was like, in my opinion, one of the biggest grind events that we had because we yeah. were literally like there. I think we got there at like, but dude, like there, was, there were so many people that came to this event too. Yeah. Like this event was like a breakout event. It, it right? was for sure. Like, I mean, this was like yeah. double the size of the Chicago event. It was like mm-hmm. 64 teams or something like that. It was a lot of teams, a lot of players. Yeah. And I don't know if we were actually like, I mean, we expected it, right? Because we knew that it was already sold out or whatever, but we didn't know like what 64 teams looked like until we got there. We were in the venue. Yeah. Especially when you go to this venue, this venue, like the size of the venue was probably like, if we're talking square footage wise, we're probably talking like 2,500 square feet. Yeah. It was small. There's no, there's no way it was more than that. People. 50% 50% of the people were outside pretty much like the entire yeah. time or just like standing clogging the aisles. And yeah. so this is like the first time I think that, I don't know, man, I feel like this was kind of a changing point for us where it like, for me, like I wasn't super involved yet. I think I start getting involved in the next event in the Knoxville, but um, we just kind of saw like how many people were actually showing up and sparking mm-hmm. interest. So it started to like put us on this different trajectory and Brad just goes starting to go gung ho. I mean, there's errors beyond anything that we've ever imagined on that event. I remember literally specifically the first night. So obviously this is when I'm starting to be more organic eating. Like we went from 7am all the way until like two or 3am. And the only thing yeah. open for me after the event was like a Wendy's and it's like, I hadn't eaten any fast food in like over two or three years at the time. So I was like, maybe I can like squeak in some type of like wrap, like just a wrap with some like chicken grilled chicken. And like, it gave me so much anxiety. I should have just not eaten. (laughs) But Man, that, that event was, it was like that, like the whole entire event was just like completely exhausting. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Yeah. And, and so, so talking about the event and the venue a little bit more to go over kind of the details of the deals that we had with each venue as we do this. So, we're trying to save money. So we're trying not to pay the venues in just raw cash. We're trying to bring mm-hmm. um, money in other ways, like from them, you know, eating there and drinks and other things that, they, that these venues do. So this venue, um, you know, our deal is basically like, Hey, we're going to bring all these people there. They're not going to be able to leave. So you can basically feed them. They're going to, you know, want drinks. They're going to want all this mm-hmm. stuff. And you should be able to make a pretty good killing off of that with, you know, I mean, that's, hundreds of people eating right. two to three meals at your facility a day. Right. So we, we do this whole thing. The guy's like, okay, cool. Then what happened was, is like, he was so unprepared. He did not have enough people to make food. He did not have enough supplies. Um, it was basically just a, an absolute disaster. So like 90% of the people end up not being able to eat there, not being able to get anything. And then the venue gets mad at me for basically being like, oh, you guys have to pay us now because you know we didn't sell anything. And I was like, dude, like that's your fault. We we told you how many people were coming. We set all this stuff up. Uh, so then this guy, he, he's he's like the manager of the place. He's not even the owner. This guy at the end of the event goes and makes a post on Reddit, basically saying that we put the business, we we put their facility out of business because the cost of just being open for the weekend, I guess. And because they didn't sell anything, I don't know. So he, he makes this whole explosion of chaos amongst just the community. And so then everybody's like, oh my gosh, you guys are putting other people out of business. And I was like, that's not the case. And so then we had to kind of talk it through. The owner of the facility actually reached out then, did a huge reply to this and basically said that all that's false. 
Uh, they're in a perfectly fine spot. And then he was like, we want you to come back and we want to make sure that your needs are met even more next time. Um, so it was just this whole debacle between the owner of the facility and the manager of the facility, uh, not really knowing, you know, how it should have gone and what should have been prepared and whatnot and stuff like that. So big, big, just lesson learned there that, you know, it's, you can only do so much by like a firm handshake and, and saying, Hey, here's what we're going to do for you. Here's what you need to have prepared and stuff like that. And it, it definitely, um, there was a lot of people there. Like, I mean, we ran, we ran the event four or five hours later than we wanted to, uh, you know, and then as that starts to happen, we've got talent that is here. So we've got Maven, we've got Scott Gandhi, um, we've got ghost, um, while she was there. Yeah. All, all casting the event. And you know, it comes to be like 8 PM and I'm like, nah, dude, you guys leave. Like you guys don't need to be here. Like we're not paying any of them at this point. Like we, we don't pay any of them. We weren't even covering their hotels for this event or anything. This was like, they're coming to this event to support halo, to support us. And thank you to all of them for doing that. Like it, it, it made these events possible. It made them more professional and made people want to watch them. But I remember sitting in this room in this dark corner by myself doing the broadcast and now casting for four hours by myself of just the people playing and organizing the stuff because i was like everyone else just leave i'll just do this by myself because nobody else needs to live through this suffering with me uh so i just remember just being tired out of my mind for hours after midnight and then just like sitting there just just grinding it out and uh, it was, it was huge, huge lessons. Like it was, it was, uh, it was an eye opener for sure. It was, it was pretty crazy. Um, but it was a really good stepping stone and growing stone for us. And it allowed our next event for us to know that on this next event, we could go bigger. Um, mm-hmm. and at this event, we met, uh, the guys over at battlefield Knoxville, mm-hmm. probably, yeah, right. probably one of the nicest guys, you know, huge shout outs to Dustin, is that his name or is it Derek Dustin yep. Dustin, right? Yeah. Dustin. Yeah. And, uh, huge shout outs to him and I forget his name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. uh no. so, so we go, um, you know, he's like, he's like, dude, I want you guys to, to come to, to my facility. And what battlefield Knoxville was, is it was, dude, it was like this 30,000 square foot facility of laser tag and gaming. Like right. a huge store that like went out of business that they took over and renovated it. So it was, we're like, holy cow, this is what we need. We need a space that's this big that can house all these machines that can do all this stuff for us. Um, so we're like, all right, let's do an event there and see how it goes. And as we're gearing up for this event, let's shift over to the clothing side a little bit before we talk about the next event. We started to really gear up our clothing even more and go more custom which led us to a lot of man- see the demand, right? In all yeah. the things that yeah. we're doing, right? Because when you're building a brand, um, I think both and Brad and I agree heavily that merchandising is so impeccably crucial, it right? Is. So you need to have not only like good quality merch, because as me and Brad have always said, and we will continue to say throughout everything we do, is like your qual whatever you do and deliver is going to be like what people perceive you as. So if you just go ahead and make some type of regular clothing you're like i want to save money like brad and i like we're about saving money but once you i mean i'm I'm, i would much rather make 
30% profit and have a piece of garment that like, I literally have people still saying like, Hey man, I'm still wearing your smite clothing or your AGL clothing or your bonafide clothing from like 10 years ago right now. And I still love it. Right. So that investment is worth tenfold in the future because you're always going to have people coming back, whether they consciously think about it or they don't consciously think about it. They're like, wow, this piece of clothing is good. So we started going for the manufacturing here and we started to develop relationships outside of just like, hey, um, let's go to the mom and pop store in the mall and have them sew 10 hats. And we're like super excited about it. (laughs) Well, I don't think that's going to work anymore. And just to go back to just before we move completely on to Knoxville, like Murphy's bro could have potentially been deemed as a failure if we're sharing it all together. Like we could have just been like, okay, they posted something negative on Reddit about us. Like the whole community is going crazy. Um, everybody thinks that we just r- rip these people off. We were up till three in the morning. And um, obviously the stream numbers didn't match what we experienced in person, but we didn't deem that as a failure. We deemed it as we're growing. This is growing pains. We need to be more proficient and efficient in the future. So we took that trajectory and literally just took a connection that we had and just jumped to the next arena of life. And this, as Brad described, is like a different level of place. Like it can accommodate like a thousand people probably. And that other place probably realistically probably should have uh, accommodated maybe like a hundred. And we had (laughs) maybe 250 people in and out front. That was absolutely insane. So, so as we go into the manufacturing stuff, one of the things that we found was hats Uh, Mm -hmm. and we became wildly obsessed with hats at this point. I wildly like wildly, uh, like I can tell you, Like I could tell you right now in my closet, there are 50 hats that me and Billy are the only people that own those hats in existence because we just went like, oh, we can do all these different colors. We can do all this stuff. We found this manufacturer that we developed such a good relationship with and uh, it we can create these custom hats and beanies and everything like that from top to bottom for amazing costs and amazing quality. Like do like the quality of these hats that I am wearing all the time is, is just like, it's impeccable. And, you know, so we're like, okay, we can just make hats to match every outfit we wear. Why not? We can just make hats to give away. We can just make hats to do this. And, you know, so we just started making hats and we found out that people love the hats. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and so as we talk about what it's, what is it like, Billy, working with a manufacturer? So for every, anybody out there that is trying to work with a manufacturer com- company outside of the U.S., there is a lot yeah. of growing pains that you have to do to figure out stuff. Um, and a lot of that starts with, you know, they'll, they'll send you samples, First, right. So they'll say, here's samples of stuff. And then you can kind of gauge the quality and what it's like and everything. And you can see what they've done in the past. And uh, you can get a really good foothold on that. And then after, you know, you kind of do that, I think the first thing we found out is when we would create a design and send it to them, the hardest thing was communi- at first until yep. is communicating how you really want it to look and what colors you actually want. Because it's really right. hard digitally to say that matches, even if you're using like the Pantone colors and stuff like that, it, translating it from, you know, one country to another and 
there's so many different Pantone options and stuff like that. But translating, oh, this color versus this color. And I remember the first couple, you know, samples we got, the colors were super different than what we expected. Um, mm-hmm. And and then, you know, we had to develop this whole process of approvals through photos instead of shipping it, right? Right. So they, they typically want to ship it. They, yeah. So so like we're we're in China and they typically want to ship you samples so you could see it in person and everything like that. But like, what is the turnaround time on that? Like... Oh man, it's crazy. So I would say if we're going to break this down for everybody that's looking to develop manufacturers. So like number one is samples, right? So Mm -hmm. when you get that sample, number one, you have to try it on. Number two, you want to see the material. Number three, I start looking at details, right? So when we started shopping around to manufacturers, we started getting samples because most of them are more than willing to send you a sample because that could turn into big business eventually, right? So it's the stitching, right? The eyelets. I started looking at like how the the crown top button is sitting up top. How does how does how does like the emblems on the the front, you know, exactly. overlap the stitching and stuff like that? Like we mm-hmm. looked that at like huge. all these I think details. That's really the biggest one. So it's all of the stitching details that I look at these hats because it was like I want, and me and Brad are on the same page. We want to have the best hat. We want not just like a hat where you know you can go out there and go to China and find somebody that'll do hats for a hundred for three bucks at a piece. And there's not going to be any, uh, puff embroidery. So a puff embroidery is really one of the things that me and Brad were really into. It's like when you see the new era hats, uh, the Yankees hat is a big, good example of puff embroidery where it's not a flat stitch just on the hat. It sits out like maybe uh, a quarter, I don't know, quarter, an eighth of an inch or something, whatever it is off the front of the hat. So for us, that deemed more quality. So we were looking for the puff embroidery, the being, uh, the fit. And then we basically just kept on going in that direction. And, oh man, the translation issue is definitely hard, especially up front. It's always going to be growing pain. So it's like, it's always good to start with a small order. And I don't think we started with a small order, but fortunately it worked no. out really well for us. Cause we, we did, I think we ordered, did we order 500 or a thousand? I think it was 250. I think it was 250. 250? Okay, yeah, two fifty, and and you and you think like two fifty, that's not that many, and you it's see two hundred fifty hats, you're like, oh my god, that's a lot of hats. <laughs> like, wow, yeah, <laughs> it's like two two full like pretty good sized boxes full of hats, and so we got all that stuff ironed out, and it's also being like very specific and asking questions as well. So when you're developing these manufacturers, you need to ask the questions. It's all about asking as many questions as possible. The fabric type, how do these fabrics flex and fit? Do they, are they fitted? Um, or are they stiff? We learned about how cotton hats will slightly mold a little bit Mm -hmm. as opposed to polyester hats that when you put on, they're not going to, mold as much because poly is not as, as stretchable as a or was it acrylic I, I forget what the fabric is but it doesn't mold as well so like some of the new era hats if you ever get them and they're like a little tight and they basically like never mold that's not a cotton hat but if you get a cotton hat it's slightly tight in the next month or two it'll literally be like the most perfectly fitted hat for your head yeah and i think the uh the next part with that is you know Always getting a sample is very good. Um, if you're working with somebody, I recommend getting a sample from them, but also getting a sample of your product. Now, we developed such a good relationship that after a couple of samples and orders and stuff like that, we were like, we can't do this time frame. We need stuff faster. So mm-hmm. the time frame was you would submit it. They would make the sample. They would send it to you. That would take about four weeks just to get a single hat sample. Mm-hmm. 
then you have to yeah. confirm it or make changes. And if you make changes, now you got to go through that process again. So imagine if one thing is wrong in that, and then you got to do another four weeks and another four weeks. And then when you finally submit the order, it's four to eight weeks to get that because they ship it either air or they ship it over sea. Mm-hmm. If you ship it over air, you can get it really fast, but it's like $1,500 for like in order of a hundred hats to get that in like five days. So you're like, I don't want to pay that. I'll pay the, put it on a boat for a couple hundred bucks and I'll get it in four to eight weeks. So you have to plan super, super far ahead of time. And that's why like, I don't think we've ever put anything on a boat. Uh, I thought that it came on a boat. Did it not? Uh, okay. Yeah. Maybe the first AGL hats, but after, after that, that it wasn't ever because we needed it, was, it so fast. We always ran yeah. into these deadlines of like, and it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't us most of the time. It's clients that we get in the future. They just go, Hey, we need this in like three weeks. And we're like, uh, okay. It's going to cost you $2,000 we'll to ship it. it is. <laughs> <laughs> to take on a client that's that demanding. Um, you got to gauge your clients, right? Yeah. Like we're, I'm super we'll, grateful we'll that we did it all. <laughs> but we'll get into more. Of we'll it. Like, get it. Really we'll do. We'll do full like, episodes yeah. on each client, well, like kind of thing for sure. Because those are yeah. those are those are some experiences. So they are. So yeah, you got to plan super far ahead, and it's going to cost you money. So now you got to take that. You can go. Oh, I'm getting these hats for this price. But then if you take in the shipping into it, those hats are actually like two, three dollars more per hat. Um, so, you know, a lot of companies shipping is different because you could write it off in different ways and stuff like that. But it's just something to consider that the shipping from other countries, um, it adds up. It definitely adds up and it'll it'll creep up behind you without you really knowing. Um, so, yeah, those hidden costs are yeah, hard, man. Yeah, they're, like, they're, they're, they're hard. Business, it's, like, it's no different than flying on an airline. You're like, oh, the, the cost is 50 bucks. And then you go to check out and it's 90. You're just like, Okay, what just yeah. happened, right? So you don't want to, and then you get to the airport and they go, "Oh, you got to pay forty dollars for your bags," and you're like, "Yeah, oh no, exactly." <laughs> so, and, and a lot, a lot of times, and now it's even worse. So, like when you get a lot of stuff shipped, um, you have to pay like customs fees and stuff on it as well. So you're gonna have like these taxes that are you have to get at the ports. And if you get really big orders shipped to the ports, you got to go pick them up or you got to pay for the transportation then from the port to your house. So now that's an additional cost. So there's so many costs that add up when you're ordering out of country that you might look at it and you might go, oh, I got this hat company in America and it's going to cost me, let's just say $10 a hat. Let's just use flat numbers. Um, and then you go, oh, I got this one over in another country and it's $4 a hat. You go, wow, why wouldn't I go with the $4 a hat? And then you have to go, okay, well, in the America one, they're probably going to cover the shipping for free. Let's be real. Most of them are going to cover the shipping for free on an order like that. If not, yeah. it's not. It's it's a couple hundred dollars for them to, to ship that. It's not going to be that big of a deal. Now you Maybe look o- over, the, over the seas and you go... Okay, you've got shipping, which is let's just say thousands of dollars. You've got port fees. You've got um, domestic delivery. Yeah, like the the domestic delivery, and then you've also got customs fees. Like you're paying a tax for it coming in. Now, when we were doing this back then, that didn't exist. We like we were doing this before that was really a thing, and it kind of hit right 
a little bit later to where it started it started to be a thing and now it's now it's like way 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 worse like it's really bad getting stuff shipped in from out of the country um so you've got all these fees and if you add up all those fees if you go okay it's going to cost me 15% taxes you know a couple hundred dollars for port fees uh $500 to ship domestic $2000 to ship international now you're up to the exact same price as buying it in the US mm-hmm. like and there's a lot more time and risk associated with it being out of the country. So the U.S. is probably going to be able to deliver it faster, be able to manufacture it. So it's something to just consider. Look at you know your in-country, whatever country you're in, and factories and manufacturers in your country, and see if there is somebody that can suit your needs to meet your timeframes better, to be at a decent cost still. And they're not going to be the same cost as, you know, outside, you know, like if it's China or Russia or anything like that. But you're probably at the end of the day, the cost is probably going to be very, very close to the same. And even if it is just slightly higher to be in your own country, it's probably worth it because there's a lot less risk involved with it. So that would be my thoughts as far as when you're dealing with manufacturers and kind of who to choose and the, and the struggles that we experienced. Um, and we were lucky enough to get a very, very good manufacturer that we developed a relationship to be able to approve stuff in photos and get stuff turned around very fast, get our orders put ahead of schedule and stuff like that. Like we had, we developed a very, very good, I, I'll give us that. We are very good at developing these relationships. Um, yeah. Relationships are definitely our strong point. And I think that, I mean, I, I feel like Brad's developed a, a better relationship. I feel like at first, when we first met, like his relationship capabilities was just like, Brad's very blunt, right? So it was very just blunt. like, if you didn't like something, it was just going to be like straight blunt. And sometimes in relationship, if, if people in business are a little sensitive, uh, and I'm not saying that negatively, but just a little bit more uh, emotional about their stuff, like Brad's uh, communication can turn some people off. So usually it was like, let Billy just communicate with most of these yeah. people <laughs> and me and Brad will communicate, but Brad would step in sometimes, but he's grown quite a, quite significantly about understanding that, uh, like we talked about in the last episode, that bluntness is good, but you got to kind of sugarcoat it as well. And then make sure that, uh, you know, cause these are relationships and, um, super important. And also I think what me and Brad also did was not only do you have to factor in the price and everything like that, but the biggest thing for the hats and why we didn't do it domestically was like the quality you need to yep. factor in all that stuff that Brad talked about. And then you need to take one step further and be like, is the quality in the US going to match wherever I'm going to get this from? And for us, we got many samples in the US. And most of the people, you also have to realize that some of the people, and maybe most of them, depending on what the product is and what we found about the hats, is they would say they're from the US and they would come from China and they yep. would get it to the US and, and then, then they would give it, it to us. And we would be like, okay, I know that this hat isn't from the US for one and for two, it's not as good quality. So. Yeah. I think one you we actually we actually had a factory in like China that we got a sample from and then we got a sample from a US company and it was from the same factory. Like in And China. I think that was a company out of California, I believe, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, that yeah. company. So yeah. And, and, here's, be... and here's how you tell. Here's how you tell. There are tags inside of the hats. So these, yeah. these manufacturers are required by law to have tags in every single piece of mm-hmm. merchandise that they do that has their RN number that literally says like, here is who made this. Like this is a company, it's a company reference number saying, here's who made this. 
Um, now you can add in your own our your own numbers. Like we we were able to say, here's our numbers to put in there, so that it shows here's the manufacturers and here's like the supplier stuff. But mm-hmm. you can tell when you get these samples, and you can go look up those RN numbers on Google. It's very easy, and it will literally tell you where where that's made. Um, so that's that's a way to like double check where it's actually coming from and who's actually making your your products. Right. And I think a lot of people out there, uh, before we move into our, our next stuff, right, because we have the manufacturing, which is going to come into play in a lot of our events is like, you can generally see that me and Brad got really excited about making hats, right? Like, this stuff is not easy. And being an entrepreneur or pursuing your own, whatever you want to call it, uh, hobbies, to maybe potentially make it into an entrepreneurship is like, we were genuinely excited about these hats. So like, dealing with the import duties, getting all these samples, uh, doing all the mock-ups ourselves, learning how to do the templates and to learn all the Pantone colors to match Pantone colors. Like some of you guys may hear that and be like, I would never want like some, a lot of people are obsessed with the products final, but they don't want to be obsessed with the process. Mm -hmm. And I saw a pretty powerful quote that other day that was like, if you're not obsessed with your process, you might as well dramatically reduce your expectations of your life because you have to be obsessed with the process because you don't get the product without the process. It's impossible, right? You can just say, unless you're, you know, uh, LeBron James and you can go to Nike and say, you know, I'm a powerful, I want this product done. Or you're like rich and you're like, Hey, here's a million dollars. And then even in that case, if you don't know the language of your business, you can still get ripped off and get a poor product. So it's just really important. And I want to stress that to you guys that like the process is what we find fun when we do our businesses. And if we don't find that process fun, we either just grind through it and make it fun in some regard, or, or we, we just start shifting what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or we just say, we're done. <laughs> we're done. With and we've done that. Yeah. Um, so that, so that kind of leads us into, you know, we, we ordered these hats for this next big event that we had, which was in battlefield Knoxville. Dude, I swear that it has to be 500 hats. Do you want to know why? Because we had two full it might boxes. Have been. You're right. It might have been. Carton, I think, was 50 hats per carton. And I think that there was four cartons per, per box. big box that yep. was maybe uh, a foot, two, two and a half feet. So I think we had 500. It's very possible. We might have had 500. You're, you might not be wrong. So, uh, so assume we order 500 hats for this event. <laughs> and that's because we... And so this event huge facility. It's open to the public to like come and hang out. So you don't have to just be a player, which is really, really good uh, for us. So like you, we've got, um, we sold out like 72 passes, like in the snap of a finger, it was like, they're on sale, they're sold out. And I'm pretty sure we upped it then to 96 after that. And we sold out all 96. Now you, you have some people that don't show up. So we think we ended up with, you know, that like 80 team mark or something like that, uh, at the day of the event. But then there was probably a solid, I would say 50 other people that weren't playing that came to this event to hang out with everybody, support their friends and stuff. So like, yeah, at least. And so we go to this event. This is our first event that we had like a, a full clothing booth that was set up. Billy's super involved at this point. He's been kind of leading up to like when he got super involved. This was like the first event where I said, I'm doing the production. I physically cannot go run the bracket. We didn't have anybody else to help us run the bracket at this event. So Billy took it on him to run our entire open bracket and do all of the the clothing sales and stuff like that and giveaways and everything we're, we're doing there. So 
let me tell you, like, if there's anybody in esports, I since then I can I can easily say this. I've been a part of so many different events with tournaments and brackets and stuff like that. And there's always issues. There's always time issues. There's always, you're, you're never ahead of schedule and you are never on time. I cannot, I've never seen an event that has been besides our event. Like when it is a big open event like this, he ran this bracket to such a T that we were ahead of schedule. Like the event before this, we were like five hours behind schedule. Right. And it was a mess. And so then like this one, we're grinding out. We got this process together where like people don't have to get up. So when you're, when you're playing the, the most time consuming part is getting up and moving seats and reconfiguring your settings that you play on as a video game player. Mm -hmm. So every time you have to do that, it's basically like 30 minutes of downtime because you have to get up, you have to unplug everything. You have to sit back down, you have to set everything, you have to test it all. And it's this whole process. So we hooked it up to where you didn't have to do that. And we said, there's, I don't even know. We had what, 12 to 16 late, like teams that could be playing at a time. And basically he ran it in a way to where people didn't have to get up and you're able to just be like, okay, your game's done. Sit there and wait for this next person. Now you guys just play each other because they're connecting via, you know, land still that you don't have to be sitting across from them in every situation. Yeah. So basically we, the way brackets are set up is you have all these different things coming from different sides. Right. And then they all similar to like the final four and then they kind of all start meeting in the middle. So what typically was done, and this is what we started to do. And I, I think I shifted it. Like maybe I came to Brad and he's like, I don't even care dude. just like do whatever you want. <laughs> like, like Brad's so busy in the stream and like our demand is growing right now. So that was the point where Brad just threw it back in my core. He's like, dude, you just got to handle it. Like, I don't even care. I can't, I like physically can't look away from this stream. So I was like, all right, cool. And the first like round, I think I ran it where it was like the traditional, where it was like, let's run through the entire first round. Yeah. And I was like, God, like, you know, there's 20 to 30 minutes in between each round. No wonder why all these tournaments are yeah. so behind. So you basically that, would lose like, like four hours in that first round, essentially yeah. from having to switch people. Right hours and i'm just like dude like we can't we physically can't do this so instead of running each round as a bracket i ran the entire bracket like across until we got to where brad wanted to stop for that day and and, to like, kind we of were and, and real quick to yeah. sorry to interrupt you but like to explain that think of a, a main like you know 64 per team bracket think of it in brackets of eight so then what he did is he ran each bracket of eight as a mini bracket inside of that. So then those eight teams would play until you lose. So then you don't have to get up. And then as spots filled, he would start the next mini bracket of eight. If, right. if that is, that's as easy as I can explain it, I think. Yeah, basically. Instead of taking every 64 team and playing that 64 and then doing everybody get up, play the 32 because yeah. half of them lost, we would just run through like laterally until we would get to like the top 16, let's just say. So I would run a whole bracket until top 16 and then, and then they would get up. And then I'm like, you guys are done unless you won. And if you won, I would be like, Brad, these are the people that won. Who do you want for the mainstream? And who do you want me to keep playing? He's like, save these matches. We'll play this. And so like, I remember coming to Brad and he's on the stream, like sweating and grinding all these lights and electronics. And I come over and I was like, it was like, I don't know, maybe like 4 PM. And I was like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm done. He's like, 
what? And like everybody at that point, like, cause everybody's tournament experience was like, so used to like, yeah. okay, I hate this. Like, I know we're going to be here till midnight. We're going to be exhausted. Like all the players are prepared to be like completely exhausted and like, we're done. And everybody, I like looked around and everybody's like, what do I even do with my life right now? Like, yeah, you just <laughs> so, play for fun at that point. <laughs> yeah, it was just like hanging out and it was an amazing experience. And I think like that, that was like, yeah, I don't know that that took my AGL involvement for sure to the next level. And then like, it just kind of opened up a new experience for a lot of people, including myself. I mean, I, I don't know. It was just efficient thinking to try to get us to be able to make move tournaments. Because for me, for one, actually, I actually came out of like a selfish demand as well. Because I'm like, I don't want to be here every night until like 2 a.m. Like, there's no reason for us to do that. Yeah. And for Brad to be there until 2 a.m. as well. Like, that doesn't make sense. So I just re-engineered it. And it, yeah, it was, it's absolutely nuts. And, and that's one of the things that I think really set us up for success for how we ran things, because then everybody says, oh, wow, this is a really good tournament to go to because it runs fast. It runs smooth. You know, they enjoy it and they know as a player. So as a player, one of the really cool things is when you have to play a full round you basically don't know when you're going to play that round. So what happens is, is you can be at the very bottom and you might have to just sit around for four hours waiting. So you're sitting there for four hours waiting to play. Then you finally play and you lose. And now you got to wait another four hours to play again. And then you got to wait another. And, and like, so you, you're waiting more than you're doing anything. And it would, and, and so you're like never warmed up. You're always very cold when you're playing. And what the way Billy did it as a, from a player's perspective, it's, the best experience you can have because you sit down and you, if you win, you are literally playing for the next four hours nonstop. So you are warmed up, you know what you're doing. And then when you're done, you're done. Like you lose, you're done. You win to the end, you're done. And then, you know, like it's noon, it's four o'clock, whatever time you're done, you can leave, come back the next day and you're playing the same way the next day. So it allows these players to be able to rest, be able to recalibrate their minds, being able to stay warmed up while they're actually playing and not have these really long lows and super short highs throughout the competition. Um, think about any athlete, like if they did that, right? Like imagine if you're an NFL player and you say you're going to take a single snap and then you're going to wait four hours and your next snap is going to be in four hours. Like imagine what that does to an athlete. Like, yes, they're video game players, but they're, they're, they're athletes. Like they take just as much mental and physical fatigue as any other athletes, just in different ways. Um, so it's, it's very hard for you to have these long waiting periods. And now you got to get ready to game versus just you warm up, you game, and then you're done. It's, it was the best thing that he could have ever designed and can't come up with to run these tournaments. Um, so this event though, as a whole, I think went off pretty solid. There wasn't very many issues. We had more sponsors coming in the doors. Uh, the shirt, all the merchandise was absolutely amazing. We had a step and repeat banner that you were taking photos with all the players were loving it. This felt like an event. It felt like a very big fleshed out event with very few, if any real major issues. Um, I think it was, and we're still printing our own clothes at this time. Yeah, we are. We're still printing our own clothes. You're correct. So we've got all these different designs that we've been printing ourselves still. Yep. Yep. That's a thing still. So this event yep. goes, goes off without a hitch, we'll say. And, you know, after that, we basically said, how do we go have an event anywhere else? Like this venue didn't make us pay anything because, you know, they had 
money coming in, they had exposure, they had people coming in and stuff like that. So we had this really good relationship. And so we go, okay, how do we go anywhere else after this? Like if we go anywhere else, how is this viable? So basically we go, Hey man, can we just come back next month? Uh, so, you know, we, uh, we, I think we actually, we, yeah, we come back, we come back there next month. And then this was the first event that golden boy actually was going to attend. Iron gaming then started becoming a part of us. They gave us a couple extra cameras, a couple extra set pieces to make our caster area look nicer. So we just upped the quality. The next one we're like, Hey, same thing. We know how the setup needs to be here. We can expand to more people. Uh, they got a new stage and new desks in. So like the, the stage quality went up, the projector quality went up, the caster area went up, our production quality went up. Mm-hmm. So we just were like, let's do the same thing and just up our quality a little bit. And the I think next, this cool, because this one was the one where you put the iron gaming cage in the middle of yeah. the event, right? Yeah. Yep. So the announcers were like, you walk into this. And so imagine it just being like a big rectangle and you walk into the side of the long end of the rectangle. On the left, you're going to have the main stage. On the right, you're going to have all the players. And instead of putting the casters over by the main stage on the left, it was literally this amazing cage sitting right in the middle of the event. So like yep. the experience of like walking into a video game event, the first thing you see is like live action uh, basically, you know, casters going after who are famous in the Halo community, like going after all these announcements. It was just like so next level. Iron Gaming, that that cage and some of their cameras that they brought for us, like literally took the quality. And yep. the thing you have to realize, guys, every single time we do an event, we think, how can we make this better? Even if it's just Brad doing a little bit more efficient overlays, which it wasn't just that, but you know, that always happened. And it was always like, what's the next like little step? Is it, uh, you know, a new relationship? Is it a new venue? Is it a new type of clothing? Is it a new relationship? Whatever that is, it's like always, that's always, how do we make this next thing better? Yep. So that event, it was just bigger and better. There's nothing else like really to it. It ran even, even better. Uh, the numbers, everything grew. So everything grew, everything was kicking off really well. And so now, you know, now we were getting kind of this, uh, I wouldn't say complaints, but everyone's like, Hey, let's go somewhere else. We don't want it to be in the same place all the time Mm -hmm. because we had three events in Tennessee in a row at this point. Um, so we're like, okay, let's try to go somewhere else. Didn't we mash Pittsburgh in in the middle of that? So I I think Pittsburgh was actually before it because that was Maven's first event with us. Uh, because okay, he lived yeah, in right. that area. So we kind of skipped over that. Yeah. So like we had an event in Pittsburgh in there. Um, it was just like a small, super small event. It wasn't really anything crazy, but that was Maven's first event with us. Um, mm-hmm. cause he lived in that area. And so, um, in between, I think for us, yeah, go as this, we, we just like, didn't, so we obviously, and the players had experiences with, you know, we're in Chicago, which was, I would say that was probably the best event um space wise and everything maybe not production and everything like that before we got to knoxville because everything else like chicago wasn't too crazy then we went to new jersey which was hectic from brad and then it was a really small event then murphy's bro was just like literally the epitome of like the most chaotic event i've ever seen in my life and then we made the relationship and then um i think we might have been pittsburgh and then we went to knoxville as the next one because i think we already had pittsburgh scheduled And once we got to Knoxville, it was like, for us, it was like the venue's huge. There's laser tag in here too. Like there's not only this, they're entertainment. Um, they're able to make money, um, just from us putting so many people in there, they can actually run some of their businesses as well. And then after seeing that, it was like, 
can we even find another place that's even remotely close to this? Because now we have this experience, we have a lot of relationships there. And unfortunately, like those things, like even if we're expressing them to the players, like people just want to like travel and see new, new places. So we kind of run into that. And so then after that, um, we had an opportunity with UMG. So UMG was basically doing what we were doing, but on the call of duty side, and they'd been doing it a little bit longer. They were bigger. Um, and they were doing these call of duty events and they were going to Atlanta. And we basically said, Hey man, how do you feel about having a halo event part of your event? Like that hasn't been done since MLG did it like years ago. And so we said, yeah, cool, let's do it. And we got a square footage space in there to have what we've been doing um, there and iron gaming, you know, made this really cool thing with all their, you know, trust and stuff like that for us. We drove down there, we did all our equipment. Um, this was when we kind of had our first growing relationship with scuff at the time. So we started growing a relationship with scuff, um, and UMG. And now this event, there's two things that I want to particularly touch on with this event before we go into kind of chaos and wrap up this episode, but this event, uh, the hotel grounded the electro the electricity like the power to us wrong so when i plugged in my computer it fried all of our equipment um so we had thousands of dollars of equipment that got fried that we couldn't use and that basically put a huge halt on us being able to do our production that we had to scramble and figure out um and then the second part was this was an event where uh you know Golden Boy was already casting Call of Duty. That's where he came from. So he was able to cast Call of Duty and Halo at the same event. And then Scott and Maven were able to go and cast Call of Duty for the first time during this event while we weren't doing stuff. So that allowed them to get their foot into the door with Call of Duty, which really, really skyrocketed their careers as a whole. Um, so this event was a huge stepping stone for not just us, but for a lot of people um, and I would say the players as well, like the players that went from Halo to Call of Duty started hanging out with a lot more of the Call of Duty players then. So it was like this really good mashup that allowed the Call of Duty and Halo community to kind of come together as one and people start branching their careers in different paths. Because um, I think before that, it was very segregated, It was right? very, because very it segregated. Was, Halo was MLG. And then we went from MLG, dropped Halo. So I think a lot of the players kind of had like some animosity towards MLG and Call of Duty because then Call of Duty started growing. And it's not any fault to Call of Duty. Like they just, I hate to say this, but the companies that succeed at big levels, like they have the strategic mindset to get themselves there. So Call of Duty observed what Halo was doing and then they invested money, more money into it, right? And so they really pushed this competitive scene and were able to bring a ton of money and a ton of publicity in there. So this was the first event that kind of circled back to those days. And uh, I'll never forget because I don't even know if um, what uh, Call of Duty players were there, but this was the first time I ever saw formal. Yeah. Formal and enable who are more, who are now Call of Duty pros were actually like hanging out with all the Call of Duty pros. And it's kind of funny to like look back on that now because they're halo pros call of duty pros now those two dudes in specific are integrated into a lot of professional high level professional call of duty teams yep. so yeah it was it was cool to see all that and everybody mix and mingle and then maven's a, a huge call of duty uh, announcer as well so yeah that was that was it's an amazing nuts. event and and everybody like just hung out together so it was it was so next level it was fun to see it all and 
yeah, that event, I can't believe I forgot. I totally forgot about the electronics yeah. burning. Up. Yeah. Literally when we say fried, like you can't use it. Like it like melted the electronics. Yep. See a computer. Um, so then this leads us into the big talking point of this episode that will kind of go over, um, and we'll touch on it a lot more and how it affects things in the future into the next episode as a little teaser of what next episode will be about. But, um, we were going into AGL 10, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think this was our, going to be our 10th event. It was in Indianapolis. Yeah. I had secured mm-hmm. a sponsorship from a gaming gum company that helps stimulate mm. your brain by chewing gum. They were going to give us $10,000, $10,000 title sponsorship. So this allowed us to be able to go and get a venue um, that was different and uh, get a ballroom and do all these things. So we had funding yeah. the other from thing about the Knoxville event before you go into further yeah. is that they would just let us come like as many days in advance and start setting up. Yeah. When you get a ballroom, mm-hmm. you pay for those setup days. Yep. Right. So this is where the event stuff starts getting hairy. It's because like if you're, let's say it's a thousand dollars, $1,500 a day, which is probably relatively it's standard. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty not cheap, right? 1500. So if you want an extra two days to set up, you're paying $3,000 to not generate any revenue just for setup. Yep. Cause you're renting that space. It, they don't care what you do with the space. You need the space to set up. So this is where like when you start taking, and this is why me and Brad were so gung ho on the, uh, Knoxville was because we didn't have that incurred expense of just yeah. setup. And so exactly. then you want to start being efficient as possible. And you want to start jamming all this stuff into a day, which doesn't give you very much leeway time. If something like the computers fry or, you know, something like, you know, the stream's not working properly or the internet's not fast enough. Like you don't have that luxury of like, Hey, we need to call Comcast to up the business speed. We need to get more power into this. Like we're not getting enough power, whatever that is. So let's continue on. Uh, so, so yeah, we've got this event and everything like that. Uh, it's a sold out event again. Um, you know, we're gearing towards it. There's really nothing negative on the horizon. Everything is kind of taken care of on all fronts. And now what happens is, is when you're prepping for these events, there's a lot of other things at this point, we're paying for um, like hotels and flights and stuff for all the talent. So we've got like hotels booked, we've got flights booked for staff and everything like that. We've got, you know, down payments to the venue. We've got all this stuff ordered that we were going to need for the event. So we're all in, we're committed to it. Literally like five days before I'm leaving to go start setting up for this event, the hotel calls me and says, we can't have your event because we have found out that we cannot supply enough power for your needs. I've had this venue booked for months, man, like three, four months. So then I'm like, okay, what happens if we can't have an event? Well, let's not think about that. Let's get it. Let's change a venue. And so like, we need to find a venue that's in that area, in that location, because all these players already have flights booked. We can't ask them to change all that. So I'm just, I'm calling everywhere, any, any place that is a possible venue. And they're either like way out of our price range or they're booked. So I literally can't get a venue. So like, we have to sit here and we have to go, we can't have this event. Like, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. So we literally had to cancel the event. So we had to cancel the event. We lost all our sponsorships. We lost all of our flight money, all of our like down payments on everything we were doing. So like we we just, we literally just tanked all this momentum that we had. 
And if you've never had an event be canceled, most of the time, that's what puts companies out of business Mm -hmm. because people don't understand the costs that are associated with an event before that event happens. And now, yes, with the coronavirus and everything like that, all these companies have exper- are experiencing this. And they're all like, how do we stay alive? How do we make this into next year and stuff? And it's a lot more palpable when there's this global pandemic happening. Everybody under is a lot more understanding. Well, mm-hmm. this was years ago, right? You just can't cancel an event. It doesn't happen. So we cancel this event. Now we got ridiculed by the entire community. Um, and what kind of spiraled with this is we didn't have money to pay the players then because we lost all this money that we had. We lost all of our sponsorships. Um, and we were kind of under the uh, assumption right now is we were paying the players as stuff would happen from one event to another. So we were kind of bankrolling one thing from another. And so we couldn't pay the players from the event previously because we just lost all of our sponsors. Um, so we lost all this money that was going to come in. We lost all this money that we had to put out for this event that was going to be happening. Um, so we just, we lost tens of thousands of dollars, like probably a total of, I would say 15 to 17 grand is what we lost total in this kind of transaction. Uh, and then we basically, we couldn't do anything. There was no, there was no coming back from that unless we went to the investors and said, Hey, do you guys want to dig us out of this? But like taking money from that, from the investors for that was not part of what they were investing in. They were investing in equipment and stuff like that. So we couldn't really get money from them for that. So we had to decide basically to shut the doors. And for me, I didn't know what to do. So we just kind of went AFK and we stayed in touch with the players that we owed money. We did all of these things, but like we never did a public statement to the company. So everybody just started to associate us as scamming and terrible people belittling Mm -hmm. us Um, I mean, I had to change my phone number. I had death threats. My family had death threats. Like talk about cyber bullying to the max and how to push people over the edge to like things that you shouldn't just never do. And now we're way more aware of this, but back then it was fair game, man. It was talk as much crap as you want about people push them over the edge, belittle them, witch hunt them, bully them. Nobody cared back then. And we took the blunt of that from an entire community to the max to where like, I couldn't get out of bed, man. I couldn't leave my house. I couldn't talk to anybody. I couldn't do anything because it was so detrimental. Like I didn't know how to handle it. And it, so like, we just had to sit there in non-existence for a while while we figured out our next steps. And like, I'll tell you right now, like I was broke. I had my car repossessed. I was living back with my parents. Like it destroyed my entire life, like this happening. And not a lot of people are very aware of that, but like my life went from like, Hey, we're going to make this thing happen to like, you have literally nothing. You have a dollar to your name situation. And that's, mm-hmm. that's like where I ended up at, you know, the fall of 2013. And after that, we kind of started to recalibrate and rethink what we wanted. And Billy took the next step and he picked up and moved to Atlanta. Um, and so he moved to Atlanta. I'm still in Chicago. 
And I think that that kind of will lead us into what the next episode will be of where our journey goes after this, how our clothing company handles it, what jobs we end up getting, what schooling we end up doing, things like that. So there's, it's a huge stepping point. And, you know, this is why we say failure is always an option. And that's why we're labeling the episode that is because like, we did not see this coming at all. And it Mm -hmm. literally hit us like a freight train. And we had to literally just say, all we can do is react. All we can do is pick it up. But like, it was not something that was easy to handle. It was not something easy to get over. Um, It was, I don't know if you have anything else to say on that. Yeah, we weren't prepared for it. Um, I would definitely say like looking back, you know, obviously a public statement is always super positive, right? Like just to be... (laughs) Um, you know, you're already going to get manhandled in every single way that we possibly could just to be extremely forward. I think, I don't know if you agree with this, but, um, if we were to go back just to put out a public statement, uh, basically like, you know, being as transparent with everybody as possible. And at that time, like, you know, we were so young in our career. And so like, I think we were slightly like ego driven as well at that time. For sure. But it was just like, our egos were so hurt at that time because we went from like, the halo people to like the scum of the halo yeah. people like in like literally an hour yep. one hour yep. and so losing all that money like brad said is um i mean it wasn't the best way to do it but the only way the only way we could make our agl competitions work was to basically get money from this event and then say hey we're gonna pay you guys for the winners at the next event because we didn't physically have enough money to be able to do it all. So we would basically sell out the next event and then we would pay the players from the last event. And that's yep. how it would steamroll it. Right. And I like, like, like thinking about that now, it's like, wow, it was that was like really risky. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and never... the problem with that is how much we said we were going to pay out. We never should have put hard numbers on payouts. We should have done percentages of ticket sales so that we're always yeah. covering our butts. But like we were, we right. just didn't know how to do any of that. And we're just like, we're going to get sponsors in the future. We're going to get paid advertisement stuff in the future. Once that comes in, that'll be our like catch up point and get us into the future. So we were just like playing the right. super risky game and it bit us. In Very the ass. Yeah. We were, we were ga- basically gambling with, yeah, the, the prize money. And the reason why we were doing that to our defense was that we didn't want, we, like, we really wanted to, to like take this fast and quickly above to the next level. So putting a prize pool of like, Hey, this tournament's going to pay out 10 grand was much more appealing than like, Hey, <laughs> we don't know what so we're going to pay yeah, you guys. Exactly. Like, we'll just get with, right. So we needed to put like a, a, a dollar amount for the marketing. And that that's kind of like, I don't know, like, I wouldn't change anything. The only thing I would change is being super transparent right when it all happened and just disclosing everything because not only did we get amazing relationships, we lost some relationships. Um, We lost so many, so many relationships and so many friendships. So many relationships that like I care about, um, like we cared about every single person. Like, I mean, I was friends with the people that would just come to the events just to come to the events. Like I literally was like friendly with everybody. So it was hard to see that like, you know, seeing these people post hate messages on Reddit and, and Twitter. And it it was just crazy. It's it's really unfortunate that the internet is an outlet for people to do that because Mm -hmm. 99% of them would never say that stuff to our face. And they would be very super supportive of us if it was happening in person, but because you can hide behind a screen, uh, it allows people to just say whatever they Mm -hmm. want and not even think about, you know, actual people. 
Right. So we just basically had to disconnect <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. disconnect. Um, we basically just started re-strategizing and we didn't really do it together at that time. I don't think, cause we kind of just took like a little bit of time up, like not apart, but just to like regather ourselves. Yep. And that was the point where it was like, my brother was going to go to chiropractic school in Atlanta and you know, Chicago was kind of just Chicago. I've always lived there. And I was like, I think I'm going to go move with my brother to Atlanta to go on a new trajectory. And then Brad eventually is going to uh, a company down there. So I think that's everything for the episode, man. It was yeah. a whirlwind of an episode, it a is. lot of lessons in there. Um, always just try to take that failure as an option for one, if it's going to be an option or for two, just re-strategize that failure. Like if me and Brad truly, I think if we truly wanted the, and we were like congruent about AGL being like the thing, I think that it was starting to get like overwhelming for us at this yeah. time where it was like, we're not seeing this reward. We're not seeing the things happening. Like we're not seeing the support that we would expect from an organization to support a game. So I think at this point it was kind of like we recalibrated like, yeah, sure. We could have like took out credit card loans and stuff like that, but it, it, the investment probably we came to the conclusion wasn't worth it at this time because of the yeah. downward slope of the game and everything like that. So with that aside, failure was an option in this, but we pick it up and we basically are able to reconvene at some point, which is going to be in the next episode. Thanks everybody for watching. Make sure to follow, put your notifications on, do all those things so you can see when the next episode comes out. And thanks everybody yeah. for watching or listening. We'll see you guys out on that next episode. Peace. Peace.